With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 champ. Still ahead on Inside Sports in about half an hour, you're going to meet a man by the name of Brian Mazik, who might have one of the coolest jobs in the world. He is a video game reviewer. Yes, a professional video game reviewer. He doesn't just do this on the side or write a blog or uh, make a video when he has time. He is paid to play and write reviews of video games. He's coming up after the 7.30 news. But right now, we get back to our interview with Ken Lacusta here on the Best of Inside Sports, two-time Canadian heavyweight champion who fought for the belt against another Albertan, Willie DeWitt, at Northlands Coliseum in 1986. Yeah, that, that was one of my favorite fights, uh, you know, <clears throat> my top five fights, and it was one of my top uh, probably three or four hardest fights uh, with Willie Dwight. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, John Short helped a lot in that show. John was, you know, John's a big boxing fan yeah. back from Toronto days with Chevallo, and he knew all those people, and he, he pushed the fight with us, and we all pushed it, and we all, everybody was saying that, you know, how DeWitt was going to do this, and how I would do this, and there was, you know, a lot of the people were on his side, but I'll tell you, for two Alberta boys, it reminded me a lot about uh, a big fight in Minnesota once between Scott Ledoux and... Uh, um, I forget his name right now, but he went to the Olympics. So Scott Ledoux, a, a tough guy, was up against the Olympian, and they ended up going to 12 rounds too in in, in uh, Minneapolis. So, I mean, it, it was great for the city, and, and we enjoyed fighting in it. But I just wish that, uh, you know, I would have come out on the winning end. That was a 12-round decision. It was, a, it was a tough fight, that's for sure. Now, did you – I'm always curious when a boxer goes to a decision, and in that case, like, the, the stakes were high. You're fighting in your home city against a guy in his home province, so there was people cheering for both of you there when you're lining up for that decision or a decision do you kind of already have a sense oh i'm not sure or i, or I should win this one or well oh. i kind of i thought i thought it was very very close you know which mm-hmm. it was but i mean i mean everybody uh, all the judges picked their own ways and i thought uh you know he was a, very popular you know, you, like I said, I'll, I'll tell this story after after we finish talking about this fight. What Mike Tyson said about him, it was, it was, a, it was an incredible thing. But I thought that uh, he would probably get the decision. He, he did enough to win it. I mean, he, you you got to look at it sometimes if you do enough or you don't do enough. And uh, I, th- I thought maybe he didn't know. I thought I hit him with the harder shots. I thought right. I landed the better blows, but he might have landed more than I did. So, you know, and you never see me complain about this, the decision. That's up to the judges and what they think. And, and that's fine with me. I, I've uh, it's years since 1986. Right. I've lived a long time. So it was a big moment, yeah, though. Yeah, I love, fun. I love talking yeah, about that. It was a lot of fun. But I remember we were in, we we're in Tokyo.
Tokyo, Japan, two years later after I fought the weight in '86, and uh, we were uh, I was sparring with Mike Tyson. It was there was uh, Witherspoon was there and Oliver McCall, the guy yeah. knocked out Lennox Lewis, and we're all sitting around with Kevin Rooney and Mike Tyson. We're all having dinner, and we're so we're eating there, and all of a sudden we're talking about all kinds of topics, and all of a sudden Mike Tyson looks over at me and he says, "Kenny," he says. Well, whatever happened to that Willie DeWitt guy? And I says, oh, he's he was boxing, but he had uh, his 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 dad was involved in a in a in a plane crash, so he's retired. But uh, he did he did uh, he did he did good. I says, you know, and he says. Uh, Oh man, I thought when we were, when I was an amateur and DeWitt was an amateur, Tyson says, he says, I thought me and him were going to have a huge fight when we both turned pro. So I thought, what a compliment for an Alberta guy to get a compliment like that from Mike Tyson. At that time, Mike wouldn't go out at night and Mike, Mike was knocking everybody out and he was like a sensation. I mean, you, you, he couldn't even walk in Tokyo. So Jeez. a compliment like that is a, is a pretty nice compliment. Can we talk about more about your relationship with Tyson and some sure, of the sparring and other yeah. f- big fights you've had? Ken Lacusta in studio, Inside Sports on 630 Chat. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in. We're having a lot of fun. Ken Lacusta is in studio, Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched, uh, got some uh, texts coming in for obviously people, uh, Ken, who know all about you and are enjoying the interview. Uh, for people of a younger vintage, uh, Ken, a, a former heavyweight boxer, lived in Edmonton all your life, two-time Canadian heavyweight champion, and you were in an era that had a lot of greats, and one of the greatest, uh, Mike Tyson, who you got to know. So how does that relationship... No, you never, you never fought Tyson, right? No. But how does the relationship start where you got to spar with him? Well, I, I used to go around the world because like, around Edmonton and around Western Canada there wasn't a lot of boxing because you got to you know keep sharpening up your tools. So I would go to different places uh, in spar. I was in Italy sparring in Italy, sparring in Africa. Uh, I sparred in, in Puerto Rico. I was sparring all over the world. I used to go and in all the all the cities in the U.S. And uh, one trip got me going over to Tokyo and and like when in 1988 when they they pay you 2500 US a week and a 10,000 US bonus for only sparring three rounds a day. But I know it's against Mike, but I mean, you, you take it because that, that, you know, usually usually it's a thousand or 1250 a week, but when it's 2500 a week and all expenses, and as a matter of fact, the hotel we stayed in in Tokyo, when I was walking through it by a right, walking right by me went the Prime Minister of Canada, Brian Mulroney, because he was staying in the same hotel. <laughs> so we were staying in, <laughs> we were staying in the nicest. You were well taken care Yeah, one of the night, because Tyson was like uh, you know, if you see Connor McDavid in Edmonton, ma- magnified by about ten times over there, because the Japanese people are—they're are, very—I uh, don't know how I can put this. Japanese people really like to see someone who's the, uh, the best, ultimately the best in the world at right. something, and they really flock to him. They, they, he was a real big obstacle. So, what was it like, like sparring? Tyson, I mean, how in- intense would those sessions be? I mean, did you sort of have a green light to, to well, go at him if you needed to, or what? I always say to the guys, I was lucky enough, I seen Mike about a year and a half ago in Vegas with him and his manager, and we talked for about a half hour, and and I and he said to his manager, looked at me, he said, Kenny, I'm going to put the, the tapes of you and Mike sparring in Tokyo uh, so people can see them. So if anybody out there wants to go and watch me sparring with Mike Tyson, you can see about 30 rounds. You go to Mike Tyson on Facebook and just punch in my name, 
Ken Lacusta sparring, and you'll see about oh, probably about 35 rounds of me and him sparring. It's, it's hard. It's rough. You know, you, you're only contracted for three rounds, but uh, he was just the type of guy that he doesn't go easy. When I was there, there was a, a British heavyweight that was 17 and 0, and uh, he got his nose and jaw broken in in one round. And uh, of course, they picked him up off the canvas and took him away to the hospital. Mike paid everything, sent him back to England, give him his bonus, give him everything. So, I mean, that's the kind of guy Mike was. If you the guys that would work with him, he loved it, and you get paid. And they they, uh, they I was invited to come back and spar with Michael Spinks, the, his next fight, right. and I turned it down because it was just too rough. But I I hung in there for five weeks in in Tokyo, and I was I was happy that I was able to do that. So what what do you think made Tyson so great when he was at his peak? And I mean, we were talking off air how he beat Spinks in 91 seconds. I mean, he wasn't winning a lot of decisions. He was knocking guys down sometimes early. What made him so special? Well, he was so special because when he was doing all this, people were saying Mike will never Mike will never get beaten by these people that are boxing. And 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 critics, you say, what do you mean he's never going to get beat? Well, they say the only way Mike's going to get beat is if he beats himself. And ultimately, that's what happened. He got he got himself beat. It's just like I like to make the comparison because when I when we would hang around a bit in Tokyo with Mike, the sparring partners was Oliver McCall and and Witherspoon and guys were active. We'd hang around a bit, go for dinner once in a while with them. He would never stay out past nine o'clock at night. He would say, "Sorry, guys, I'm up to the room. I got to get to bed." And he, this guy, would would not stay out at night. He wouldn't go see no concerts. Madonna, uh, George Michael, all these people would phone Mike, come to the concert. No, no, I ain't coming nowhere. He would just train. And when he just trained, we all seen what happened to everybody. But then, after uh, uh, Jim Jacobs, who was his manager, a big uh, realtor from New York, when he passed away, all of a sudden, uh, uh, I'm not knocking Don King, but Don King took over, and Don King. Uh, let him do whatever he wanted to do. So it's just like right now, if, if Peter Shirelli would let uh, Connor McDavid do whatever he wants, and Connor McDavid would stay out till two or three in the morning, have a game the next day, and be with, uh, uh, have girls and do all the right, discipline. You know, I mean, Dis- just young boys, like, like focus, any other yeah. young boy would do if he could do whatever he wanted. Then I don't think Connor McDavid would get 103 points. It's hard to get that unless you're really focused in it. And at that time, Mike was focused in in '88, and I remember the guy he was fighting because uh, he was a bit of an acquaintance. And, and he was his name was Tony Tubbs. He was the world yep. amateur champ, and Tony Tubbs was about six foot four, and he weighed about two forty five. And Tony Tubbs could move like Al- Muhammad Ali. And we went to that fight the, the time when Mike fought him in Tokyo in '88. And uh, Tony Tubbs lasted two rounds. He got hit so hard in the, in the second round that he opened up a gash for about twenty five stitches over his, his uh, right eye, and all of a sudden just pummeled him to pieces in the second round. And he had never been off his feet ever before in thirty pro wow. fights. So. I mean, that's the kind of guy Mike was, but I think that uh, Mike kind of beat himself. But, you know, this is what great champions are. Marciano went the whole way. Look at Muhammad Ali was put in jail because he didn't want to go to the Army, then come back and still was a tremendous champion. Right. I mean, some of these guys really got it, and, 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 and it shows. Ken Lacusa joining us on Inside Sports. So you sparred with Tyson. Uh, you fought Holmes. Uh, you fought Foreman. Uh, what were some of the other big names that people would know? Uh, Tommy Morrison. Tom Morrison, Tommy Morrison, right. And Michael Dokes. Right. Uh, Michael Dokes was the WBA heavyweight champion. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, and then about three three Olympians. I, fought, I, was probably, I think I'm the only uh, Canadian that fought an uh, Olympic bronze medalist, silver medalist, two silver medalists, <laughs> and one gold medalist. Oh, so I fought a gold, two silvers, and a bronze. But, you know, I, it's hard to win because when you're fighting these guys, you're getting paid. You get paid. And if you fight guys from, and I'm not knocking it because some of the guys from BC and 
Quebec and everything else are just as tough, but you don't get the money. You'll get the thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. When you fight these other guys, you're looking at twenty five thousand and, right. and upwards. And, you, and and just for mediocre fights, you, you you can get paid well if you fight. Go over to Europe and fight European champions. We've got some people here like Jelena Marjanovic that went on and 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 knocked off the best. Uh, we got people like uh, these young brothers that might do good yep. later on. We got my big heavyweight, but Edmonton's always been a hotbed for boxing. And I always say to the guys, people always ask me, oh, how is this guy? Now, even all these young boxers. And I tell them, hey, if you want to get to the top, get that jab going and make sure you're doing your road work and make sure you're in better shape. Floyd Mayweather, once I was training, I had the lightweight champion. We were training in Las Vegas. Yep. And his name was Mario Lahovsky. He was from Edmonton. I trained him since 15 years old. And we were the Canadian champion. And I took him to top-ranked gym. And we walked into top-ranked gym. And I, I knew Miguel Diaz, the trainer there, and, and, and Roger Mayweather, the uncle of Floyd. Okay. And I, you know me, I like to, I'm a, I like to cause a little heat when I walk in. <laughs> so I said, anybody in the gym that weighs under 135 pounds, I bought the Canadian champ. So all of a sudden, we're working with with Stevie Forbes, who went 12 rounds with uh, De La Hoya, and we're working with all. And all of a sudden, Floyd Mayweather wanted to spar with him, and we would spar with Floyd. And Floyd told us uh, one one time we asked him, we said, Floyd, how come you're you're you're, you're undefeated? You're you're you're, you're and he, he looked at us and he said, listen. When I train, I train for a fight. And he looked me right in the eye and he says, after the two or three months that I train, and me and the fighter go to the middle of the ring, and I look him right in the eye and he looks me right in the eye, and I, you know what I say to myself? I'm in way better shape than he is. He's never in the shape I'm in. Now just let the skill take over. And you know, yeah. you know Mayweather's very skilled, but he really trains hard. And that's the key. We've got to get it across to our Edmonton guys that if you don't, it's what you put in, you're going to get out. Yeah, you don't put prepare. it in, you're not going to get out. Uh, what's the, some quick ones here. What's the hardest you ever hit? Do you remember? I was hit. Or maybe the hardest puncher you ever were up against? The hardest, the hardest puncher, no doubt, uh, was uh, uh, Tommy Tommy Morrison. He was the hardest puncher with one punch. He was, right. of course, Mike Tyson could put four or five almost that powerful to, in, a, in a row together. Yeah. But but Tommy Morrison, uh, like he took out Razor Ruddock in three rounds with one punch, one left yeah. out. Um, and I mean, he was just a vicious puncher. Best technical boxer you faced? Larry Holmes. I, really? Larry Holmes yeah. is probably the best fighter that I faced. He was a magnificent magnificent jab, really good defensively, really relaxed. You know, he was a real polished uh, polished fighter. Uh, what would you describe as your greatest or most memorable victory? Well, I think any time you win the Canadian Championship, that was the most fun. I mean, I, I had fought... Uh, uh, Many fights before, and you're, you're fighting ten rounders. I've been like five, ten rounds about six, seven times. I've been twelve rounds about five times. But whenever you win a championship, you know the Canadian Championship. You know, greats like George Chevalo had that championship right. back when we got it. It was it was it was a very very big deal. That's why the young boy that I trained from Edmonton or Stanley, I keep saying to him, Hey, let's get that Canadian title. With the Canadian title, you've had great fighters like George Chevalo. That he was a Canadian champion, and he was honored and feared all over the world. So we want to uh, do ourselves proud and our country our, our country proud in boxing and and, and and when you say you're the Canadian champion that really is a big thing down south or anywhere else right. you say it. Ken Lacusta all right Ken uh, you're, you're 62 you're in a sport where you get punched you get hit in the head that obviously has has 
led to permanent damage to to a lot of people in your sport, and that's one of the reasons why you know people will d- debate about should we keep boxing. I don't want to get too much into that with you, but how are you doing? Do you have any long-term damage, whether it's brain, other things in your body? Like, how are you physically and mentally? Well, it's, it, that's a very good question. I, you know, I I was getting headaches about five years ago, and um, I says to my wife, I says, let's, take, let's go to the U of A and just check this thing out. I, you know, I, I've never been sick. I never get sick. So I go there. Well, there. All of a sudden, we're sitting in the waiting room. All of a sudden, this specialist comes, and he comes over. He introduces himself. Comes right into the waiting room. He says, listen. He says, I've never checked out a, a, a heavyweight boxer before. He says, I've heard of you, Ken Lacuzan. Come on in. I'm going to give you the royal treatment. I'm going to check you out. So they put me in that thing, and they did ch- looked at my brain from all different angles and everything. He come back, and he put my the, the, the pictures of my brain up on top on the screen, and uh, he said, listen, you don't even have, you've never had a concussion. You don't even have a mark anywhere in your skull. He said your eyes, on the nerves inside your eyes, they don't have high, high you don't have no high blood pressure in your nerves in your eye. He said you're a hundred percent. It's unbelievable. How many fights you have? I said well, I had fi- over fifty, and then I had kickboxing too, and I had other ones. He said, and he he couldn't believe it. So I think what hap- has to happen is I think prior to fighting amateur fights and fighting professional fights commissions and people have to make sure that these people have their medicals even for amateurs because amateurs are getting hit in the head too so if they don't get checked out prior to a fight they can be damaged as well so i mean i think if we cover all the safety things and 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 hockey's another one football look at all these guys i know a lot of the football players they're they're in trouble after they play football Mm -hmm. because your brain's in a cavity and these guys had helmets together and and that shakes so i mean there can be injuries everywhere and injuries in all the sports but i do say boxing is a dangerous sport it's tough and it's dangerous but football is very dangerous and so is you know so is so is hockey it's a like years ago i used to do a lot of dinners with rod phillips and different guys from the city here once i did one with pat price and me and pat price were around the same age and we were doing his dinner and i kind of looked over at pat price and here he's limping a bit his back sore his neck's bad he's number one draft pick in 1971 or 70 the montreal canadians and i thought to myself my sport's a lot easier on the body than his sport you know i you know because right. they get the sore knees and the backs and the necks and they get concussions and but hey uh they're that they're doing something they really like and, and the boxing people are doing the same thing it's something they really like and i mean how, how can we? How can you take that away from a man if he wants to play hockey and say, "Oh, better not"? You, you, soon you'll be afraid to even walk across the street. You know, you got to be able to. You have to be able to live your life. If you can't live your life, then, uh, you know, where are we going to go from there? Awesome to have Ken on the show. We'll have to bring him in again. Two-time Canadian heavyweight boxing champ Ken Lacusta. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is the best of Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, six thirty. Chad. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. So here's what we have coming up for the Edmonton Oilers over the next few days. Tomorrow, Edmonton at Winnipeg. Face-off show will be at 430. The game will start at 6. Friday night, the Chicago Blackhawks visit town. Face-off at Rogers Place will be at 7. We'll have the face-off show Friday at 5.30. And then Sunday, New Year's Eve, Oilers in Winnipeg once again, this time at Rogers Place, 3.30 face-off show. The game will start at 5. That'll kick off a three-game homestand for the Oilers. They'll also play Los Angeles on January 2nd and Anaheim on Thursday, January 4th. Every Oilers game all season long right here on 6.30 Chet. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in. Inside Sports. 
It's a best of edition tonight. Man, we've had some good stuff on the show and more to come. When we get back, Brian Mazik, professional video game reviewer. Not a bad gig. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. I bet you if you were to go up to uh, an average teenage boy and ask him what his dream job might be, one of the answers you would get probably would be in the top five. Well, I'd love to play video games for a living. Well, my next guest here at Inside Sports has been able to do that. Brian Mazik, I I was uh, looking up something about video games and stumbled across some of his videos on YouTube, and they were very well done, very professional, and he was doing video game reviews. And I looked more into Brian Mazik. He doesn't just do the YouTube videos. He does this for a living. He also uh, is the uh, video game reviewer for Forbes magazine. How you doing, Rita? I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, this is great to talk. Now, are you in? Are you right in Chicago, or where are you, where are you from? I am born and raised in Chicago. Okay, so uh, are you like? Do I just list off all your favorite teams then, as Cubs, Bears, Blackhawks, Bulls? Is that what we're looking at? <laughs> uh, pretty much, maybe not in that order, but <laughs> yeah, Cubs, the Cubs are probably. I mean, I don't know. I guess the Cubs, the Cubs, Bulls, and Bears are in a a, a, a tie for first place. I am a Blackhawks fan, uh, but that would definitely be secondary. I don't try to act like one of those bandwagon Blackhawk fans who you know all of a sudden they have a they have a Taves and Patrick Kane jersey like they've been rooting ever since Stan Makita and Bobby Hall were playing so okay but well let me ask you this before I get into some of your stuff certainly though an incredible resurgence by the Blackhawks uh, over the last seven or eight years because they, I mean, we had a decade of darkness here in Edmonton. The Hawks had a 10 year run where they only made the playoffs once. So they certainly, though, uh, would it be fair to say the Blackhawks reestablished themselves in Chicago, you know, by, by going on these oh. cup runs? Oh, I, I mean, just, I mean, that's probably an understatement. I mean, if you go to any game, any Chicago, any sport, sporting event in Chicago, I would say the a Blackhawks game has a different feel than every other sports game. The the passion in the building is amazing. Uh, the championship parades that we've had over the last three to five years, their championship parades are probably second only to the Cubs uh, last year. I mean, this is absolutely a major, major, major Blackhawks town. I mean, so they they get their 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 share of love. All right, Brian. So I kind of did the intro there and, and talked about seeing your stuff. So, is it is it accurate that you are a professional video game reviewer and expert? Like you make your living doing that, or or, or give me the background here. That is for the most part, but I also write MMA and I write boxing. Uh, real, real life MMA and real life boxing. I touch okay. on some basketball. I touch on some basketball here and there, but a great deal of the content that I produce is uh, sports video game. Now, how do you possibly get into that to the point where you can kind of make it a profession? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I, I kind of live by this uh, saying that I kind of came up with, uh, and I've been. And I say it to children all the time. I say it to young people. Choose a career before life assigns you a job. And what I mean by that is, if there is something that you really, really love, 
it doesn't even matter if there's quote unquote a career or a field or a job yet for that particular thing. If you love it that much, nine times out of ten, there's a whole group of other people who love it just as much, and you can create a career out of it. So I've loved sports video games ever since I was a kid. Much of the stuff that we do on sports video games now, my brother and I used to do in a room by ourselves with a, a piece of notebook paper, uh, keeping stats. Uh, we were playing like old school Nintendo games and we were given guys names and it really wasn't, the, the players weren't individualized at all, but we'd be up saying, hey, Tim Wallach's up to bat right now. It's really not Tim Wallach. It's just some little right. pixelated guy. But <laughs> in my mind, it was Tim Wallach. So well. we, we've, been, we've been doing that forever, and now the games do that for you. I mean, some games might even have Tim Wallach in the game because they have a classic Expo team or something. So uh, I've loved it forever, you know, and, um, you know, now I have, you know, I have a I have a 19 year old son. I have an 11 year old son. We play uh, together, and I find myself having some of the same types of bonding moments that my brother and I had uh, with them. So. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Well, that's an awesome answer. I love that saying, choose a career before life assigns you a job. Those are great words to live by. Uh, Brian, so we're probably close. I'm 43, and my first system ever wasn't in television. To talk about pixelated. Are, are we in the same ballpark age-wise, if you don't mind me asking? We are. I just turned 42. Okay. So you probably, and so you were talking about Nintendo. Uh, before we talk about some of the current games, kind of a classic game, whether you want to go back to the late 80s, early 90s, what's a sports game that, that just was, you were like, yeah, that, that was an awesome game. That was an early one that sort of defined the genre or kicked, kicked the genre up to a higher level and became a, a model for other, other ones. Absolutely, it's uh, Tecmo Super Bowl. Okay. Tecmo, yeah, Tecmo Super Bowl changed a lot of things because it was one of the first games that had that had real players. Uh, and later on in the series, they added actual real NFL teams because they added players first. So they, it used to be like you would just see Oakland or New York, and the color scheme was so you knew it was the Giants and the Raiders, but uh, it, it wasn't actually, they didn't have the branding, but they had the real players. So that was a first step towards linking the real-life sport to the video game imagery. And the gameplay itself was super fun, uh, very addictive. It was very pick-up-and-play because it was simple. But later in the series, they started to introduce things like stat tracking. So now you're able to create your own sports universe like at home. So this is the first thing that took the notebook paper away from my, my brother and I because it was like, you know what, you don't need a notebook paper. The game is going to keep up with the stats for you. So... Well, I had a I had a buddy I knew about. Well, I still know him, but we met about twenty years ago, and he was still playing Tecmo all the time and was just obsessed with it. So that's that one definitely has uh, some staying power. Brian Mazik uh, joining us. By the way, you can follow him on Twitter. It's at Unique Mazik, right? That's your your handle. Yes, sir. Okay, and uh, then you can uh, follow his web links, or you just Google Brian Mazik. It's M-A-Z-I-Q-U-E. I should also mention, I love how you know your audience, and you brought up uh, a former Montreal Expo, because even though we're in Western <laughs> Canada and Montreal's out east, there's a lot of people who wish the Expos, and I, I used to watch Wallach and Carter and Dawson when I was a kid, for sure. Um 
tell me uh, before I maybe get into some of your your current picks for the best video games. Uh, you are talking to a Canadian audience, obviously. So what's what are your thoughts on the NHL series? I mean, there's NHL by EA Sports. For a while, there was an NHL 2K game, which I don't think there's mm-hmm. been for a while. How do you look at the right. uh, the NHL series and maybe compare it in uh, glitz and glamour and playability to some of the other sports games? I actually think that NHL is one of the most underrated sports series. It is very consistent. Uh, they don't, the EA doesn't really put out a poor NHL game. It's, you know, when, it, when they first made the jump over to this generation of consoles, the PS4 and the Xbox One, uh, the game originally came out and it was pretty feature dry. And, and where we are right now in sports video games, the analysis and the breaking down of these games is so in-depth. Uh, there's some signature-style modes that, or, or I should say standard modes, that we expect to see in every video game, every sports game. We expect to see a franchise mode. We expect to see some sort of card-collecting mode, which kind of simulates what you and I probably did when we used to collect, you know, go and buy basketball, football, hockey cards, or whatever. It simulates that and adds it into the video game concept, so you get these virtual cards and when you get someone's virtual card, you're able to actually control that player on your team. So uh, every game is expected to have that. Every game is expected to have some sort of mode where you control just one player. Uh, but when NHL first came out, uh, for this particular generation of console, it was missing some of those features that people wanted. So that was probably a low point, I would say, for the series. But they have caught up quite a bit. Um, I do want them to do something different with the commentary. Don't get me wrong, I like Doc Emmerich and, and Eddie Olchek. Uh, obviously, Eddie Olchek has some Chicago Blackhawks groups. I like them, but they're desperately in need of some new lines and some conversational value. The best sports games, the commentary has some sort of conversation. It's uh, if you play NBA 2K, those three people that are in that booth, they're in the booth together when they record their line. And, they're, and it's like they're talking to each other, which is similar to what you see in a real basketball game you're watching on television. Uh, sometimes schedule conflicts make that nearly impossible for the development team. So they might get Doc Emmerich to come in Monday through Wednesday to record his line, but they can't get him and Eddie Olchek in the studio at the same time. Oh. So you hear the difference in their commentary because it's disconnected. So uh, I'm hearing a lot of that with them, but that's one of my few few gripes with the game. Outside of that, uh, collision detection is good. Um, the speed of the game is good. They've done great things with the skating engine. Uh, uh, Connor McDavid, as you know, is, is the cover guy. And so he, you know, his exciting brand of hockey, they've done a good job simulating that. I mean, some of the deeks you can do this year are just crazy. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the series. All right, Brian Mazik joining us, uh, talking video games here inside sports on 6.30. Chet, Brian, has, as you has he heard, he's been uh, playing them since he was a, was a kid, and now he gets to review them and uh, write about them, and he has a great YouTube channel as well. Just a couple more for you, Brian. I'm sorry I'm taking up so much of your Friday night, but I, I got a text that simply says, I love this guy already, so so our listeners are, are connecting with you. Um, it is October 13th. Uh, Christmas is slowly coming up. We might have some parents listening and they don't know what game to get their kids. 
maybe assume in this market that the NHL game is an obvious one or kids already have it. If, if there's a, a, a parent out there with a 9-year-old sports fan or a 14-year-old sports fan who will play any sports game, uh, what's, a, what's, what's a pick that you might say, you know, they might appreciate this one. It's pretty fun. Uh, I think that NBA 2K18, NBA 2K to me, is still the best sports video game available. This year, you have a lot of rhetoric going back and forth about uh, virtual currency because there's a wave in sports video or in video games period now where there's kind of like a pay-to-win type of a thing going on. People are actually spending real money on a fake character in a game so that they can purchase like fake money. So there are people that were actually doing that. NBA 2K kind of uh, um, had that element in the game. So that's turned some people off, but you don't have to do that. You can just play it the way you and I used to play them and just, you know, grind and play on the game. But overall, there's no sports game that has as deep of an experience as NBA 2K. Uh, So I would definitely say that one. Uh, MLB The Show is great, but here's the thing. Around Christmas time, the inspiration to play baseball is kind of a little... Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, the World, the World Series has been over for over a month, uh, coming up on two months at that time. So, you know, it's a little... But, but the game is awesome. Okay. Quick quick hitters for you before I let you go, Brian, because uh, I got some text. Alex says, what does your guest think of NFL Blitz 99? It's my favorite NFL game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, NFL Blitz is one of those games that was fun to play. Like, if you had, like, three or four people over and, you know, you, you, I'm more of a simulation guy, so I kind of like more realistic games. But Blitz was definitely, you know, it, it definitely had its place for sure. Okay, and Topher says, first of all, Topher says he thinks you are awesome, and he also says, best wrestling game ever. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, oh that's, no, that's easy. WWE, uh, actually, I think it was WWF, No Mercy. Uh, it was for the Nintendo 64. I'm telling you, it was developed by a company called Akai. Now, obviously, we're talking about dated graphics, but the actual gameplay, the functionality in the ring, they still have yet to capture the just flat fun factor that was in that game. It was awesome. Most people who are hardcore wrestling video game fans will will point to that one as the best ever. That is some cool stuff and some cool video game memories there, I'm sure, for a lot of you. This is the best of Inside Sports on Eskimos and Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Well, sometimes the best interviews can come from the most unexpected sources. I never would have expected that I would be interviewing a 14-year-old dragon boat champion, but that's exactly what I did in October when I caught up with Edmonton's Sophia Calderon. I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Man, you, you, you've done pretty well. I got this note here about you. Uh, you were on a team that won the Junior World Cup in dragon boat racing uh, and in France. What, what can you tell? When, when was this and, and how did you, what did you guys have to do to win the whole thing? Well, it was in the month of August, off school, so awesome for me. And there was different race categories. There was 500-meter race, 
200 meters and 2 kilometers. And there was different sections. There was, um, for the younger ones, 16 and under, and then the older ones uh, from 16 to 18. And I raced in the younger categories since I am under 16. And we got many golds and silver. We actually medaled in all of those races, and that is what led us to getting the Junior Cup. Okay, so you, you did the best overall. So how, yeah. did, how did you get into dragon boat racing? I mean, I know they have the, the big races here uh, in Edmonton every summer, but I didn't know there was a Junior World Cup for, for people your age. How, how did you get involved in dragon boat racing? Well, getting involved started with actually my mom. She was the first one who discovered the sport, and she pushed me into it, and I found a really interesting liking for it. What do you like about it? I absolutely love the spray of the water in your face when there's that the race part and the adrenaline. It is absolutely amazing. Cool. How many, how, how many people are on your team? How many, how many are in a boat at one time while you're racing? There was two types of boats, a small boat, which was 10 people, and then a bigger one, standard, that was 20 people. Okay, wow, so a lot of people working together. So who else was on your team? Was it people from across the country, or how did the team get put together? Um, well, it was a, diff- a bunch of different um, trials. There was four trials, and after that, the selection process was, I believe, 40 people from all across the country. Oh, so you had to kind of make like a Canadian all-star team almost then? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Sophia Calderon joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, helped uh, the U18 Canadian team win the Junior World Cup in dragon boat racing in August in France. So how often do you train and what sort of training do you do, Sophia? Well, on, honestly, for training, with it's usually every day, but it's um, variation. So one could be like full body workout, make sure strength training. The next day could be cardio, no weights. It's a variation to keep the strength fit because for the different testings for Team Canada, it was a variation of the physical strength and hopefully your stamina. So, okay. Yep. So you're pretty strong then. You're pretty tough. I'd say so myself. Okay, nice. Do you play any other sports? Uh, yes, actually, I do volleyball. I'm on the senior volleyball team of Westmont Junior High. Okay, cool. Uh, and how do you do in school? I understand you do pretty good in school, too. Yes, very good. I'm very proud of my uh, marks in the school. Okay, what's your favorite subject? I don't have a favorite. They're all really uh, cool subjects, and I feel like I learn a lot from every single one. Okay, awesome. Are, are you going to keep going with the dragon boat racing? I mean, is this something you want to keep doing for, for maybe a long time? Oh, yeah. This is totally worth the investment. Okay, good. Uh, who's your favorite athlete? My favorite athlete? Well, um, in our clubhouse, there's um, this one woman, a lady. She is absolutely amazing. She is on the premier Team Canada dragon boat team, and she is crazy awesome at dragon boating. Nolana, that's her name, she is awesome. She was, she's a big inspiration for me and was the inspiration that pushed me to make it to the team, one of my many inspirations. Okay, cool. So is, so is it the off-season now, though, you focus on school and volleyball? Yep. Okay, when are you going to get back in the dragon boat? 
Um, November, my team gets back to uh, winter training, and that's just dry land. And it's a special thing called an erg, and it basically imitates paddling, but there's no water. It's just like a, it's like a roller, but with a more paddle-like version. Awesome. Sophia, this was great to get to know you a little bit. Again, congratulations on helping Canada win. And uh, keep in touch, okay? Let me know when you win some more stuff. Yes, sir. (laughs) I shall. Man, great stuff there. This has been a fun show. Hope you enjoyed listening. The best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. You heard from Ed Ilnicki, Marco Iannuzzi, Kenny Stafford, Ken Lacusta, Brian Mazik, and Sophia Calderon. You can always get the podcast for Inside Sports by signing up on iTunes or go to the Inside Sports page on 630chad.com. Tomorrow, face-off show at 4.30, Oilers and the Jets. The game will start at 6. We have it for you here on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for listening. Have a great night.